Hey everyone, I'm Justin Fiedler, and this is Dirt Tracker Conversations. When we watch or attend races, the voice calling the action is important to the experience, and over the years, we develop relationships with those booming announcers. Hearing those voices is comforting, familiar, and we come to expect a particular sound from our favorite series or racetrack. So when things change, especially unexpectedly, it can be a jarring experience that conjures negative feelings. For Tony Laporta, my guest this time on the show, those negative feelings turned into a lot of adverse reactions on social media while he was trying to navigate his opening weekend as the new voice of USAC on Flow Racing. Laporta moves over to USAC from calling the action for series like The Road to Indy and IMSA, but his desire to announce for USAC has been years in the making. He joins me to chat about his journey to the mic, which includes delivering pizzas and sleeping on couches, dealing with online haters, speed dating with the USAC competitors, and a lot more. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Tony Laporta. I guess, Tony, I was probably like much of America that was tuning into the first USAC midget race of the season thinking, you know, you, you, you tune in to hear one voice and you hear another voice and you didn't really know it was coming. So the first thought is, who the hell is this guy? Uh, so I wanted to have you on the show so we could figure out who the hell this guy is. But Tell me about the this journey for you to become the the USAC voice. I'll tell you. I, well, first of all, Justin, I appreciate being on. Uh, it's really cool to get to to talk a little bit away from the racetrack and and, and answer a few questions. Um, you know, we were talking right before we started, and uh, you know, a lot of people were like, "Well, you know, we tuned in expecting to hear Rob Klepper, who is a very very good announcer, and he was the voice of USAC." Uh, previously, uh, I think it was for like 19 and 20, maybe just 20. And but what people don't know is he was the voice of USAC for a long time, uh, before that, but he took some time off to go do his t television stuff, his math TV stuff, which he's still doing. Mm -hmm. Um, but everyone was like, you guys should have put out an announcement. And I, I looked at it as I'm just an announcer, you know, nobody, nobody's going to read a press release about the new guy on the microphone. Um, but looking back on it, I wish we would have, because, <laughs> um, we had a mixture of everybody from, from, you know, Klepper fans, who were um, just mad that he wasn't there. And then, um, you know, the general dirt audience, which in every right was upset because they were like, who is this guy, A? And why doesn't he know everything about everybody? And, you know, I made no bones about it that first night. Um, I, I don't know everything about everybody, but I'm going to do my best this whole year to, to learn and to spend time with every driver and every crew chief and every car owner. Um, but yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on. And, um, it was funny, Robert Ballou, who is, was obviously no stranger to Twitter, was one of the first guys that lit me up. And I met him at during the sprint car weekend. I walked right up to him and I shook his hand and, and I said, hey, man. And we talked and he goes, well, we just, Robert goes, we all just thought you were the micro uh, mod, the mini mod announcer that was getting patched. And I go, no, but I said, <laughs> you weren't the only one to think that. So, uh, so yeah, man, no, I appreciate getting to come on and talk a little bit. So thank you. Um, I, I jumped in to kind of do a little bit of research and I, I ran across a Marshall Pruitt um, article about you that happened last year. Um, and you kind of come over from, you know, IMSA and IndyCar and some different things, but, um, you know, rough year last year with losing everything. And I'm, I'm assuming that probably led up to you jumping in and getting this opportunity with flow, but how does this deal come together for you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Marshall did a great job on that article. Uh, we were in Sebring. I'm sorry. We were in St. Pete last year with road to Indy TV, getting ready to go to Sebring. And then the world stopped with COVID and 
I was hung out to dry in Florida. Um, so Marshall did a series of interviews talking to people in the industry, like, Hey, what happens now? And the short story for me, what happens now is I went and got a job delivering pizzas for Papa John's. Oh, yeah. So COVID smacked me in the mouth pretty hard. Um, but, uh, you know, USAC actually didn't come from that at all. This has actually been probably five years in the making with USAC. And I know the folks that are listening to this who were bashing me on Twitter are like, there's no way you, you have to know something more if, if this has been five years in the making. But the, the short version of a very long story is uh, in 2016, I got the job as the Road to Indie TV host. It's a fancy name for a YouTube host. Um, and when I was here in 2016, I, I got my first job. Um, let me back up. When I got the job with Road to Indy TV in 2016, I came to Indianapolis for the first time for the month of May. Back then, you know, you had the Grand Prix to start the month and then all the Oval stuff. Well, I came and I did the Grand Prix and then they had two weeks in the middle until the 500 and all the Oval racing. Well, um, I have a really good friend here who lives in Indianapolis. You probably know him. Everybody in motorsports seem to know him. Chris Wheeler, mm -hmm. um, formerly of Bell Helmets. Uh, I mean, he's just done everything. Well, Wheeler goes, hey, after the Grand Prix weekend, stay, stay in Indy for a week, cancel your flight. And, and he ended up going, uh, Hey, I've got a job I don't want to do. And I, vol I volunteered you. And I, I said, what is it? And he goes, well, USAC is sanctioning the Purdue E pre, which was an electronic go-kart race students at Purdue university built designed and put on track these electric powered go-karts. And he goes, they're racing in the infield of the Indianapolis motor speedway. I don't want to announce it. I told him you would do it. So I spent two days calling, electronic go-karts battery powered go-karts on this little kidney bean shaped i don't think it could have been three tenths of a mile you know roval in the in the driver coach lot at ims and when it was over i turned around and i had levi jones and kevin miller standing behind me going hey you're pretty funny and i'm like well thank you but looks aren't everything <laughs> and um they said hey our our guy dylan welch is is gonna get ready to move on to mrn and since then, Dylan's done great things. He's on pit lane for NBC with IndyCar with IMSA. Uh, you know, Dylan's career skyrocketed after USAC. And they said, Dylan's probably going to take off after the 16 season. We need somebody. Are you interested? And we we batted the ball around for a little bit. And they uh, Kevin Miller made it very clear, hey, if you're going to do this, you need to be available for all, you know, 95, 110, whatever it is, days, nights of USAC, Silver Crown, Sprint Car, Midget Racing. Um we lost, you know, we got lost in the shuffle end of 16. I sign a new contract with another group. I re up with road to Indy and Kevin goes, well, if you can't be at all of ours, you can't do any of them. And then, so that just started it almost every off season. Um, they either would be looking for somebody or I would be looking to, to jump ship from where I was to go to USAC. And we just never lined up. You know, they had um, Sean Buckley, they had uh, Klepper, they had they had so many guys revolving in and out of that position. I was signing deals to be at 12 weekends a year with the road course guys or uh, 10 weekends a year with the road to Indy guys. And so finally, um, 20, 2020 ends and um, I had lost road to Indy and I had lost MX-5 Cup, the Mazda spec series. And I reached out to Levi and through, you know, a really casual set of conversations after they got home from the West coast, he just said, you know, Klepper's elected to not come back. He's going to go pursue. I think he's doing real estate now. And, um, you know, if you're willing to take on this much work and announcing, you can have it. 
And I've been wanting this for years. So I just, I absolutely, I didn't even ask what I paid. I just ran right at it. And so I know that I said, that'd be a short version of a long story. It probably ended up being a long story, but um, yeah, no, I've been chasing the USAC guys and, and we've been just passing each other for the last five winners. And finally it worked out this year. So I'm very, very excited. What's your kind of background look like before that? Had you done mostly road racing stuff in your announcing career? Or had you done circle track stuff? Like, I mean, what does that look like? Uh, I grew up like everybody else that does this race and go-karts. I'm from Colorado. That's, that was my first strike because you don't hear Colorado pop up a lot in, in big racing arenas, whether it's road course, whether it's ovals, nothing really comes out of Colorado. Um, and so I grew up racing go-karts. And then when that, when that petered out and I found out I wasn't going to be the next Tony Stewart, I just started announcing the local karting scene and we were pavement road courses, no oval track racing in Colorado. So from a very early age, I was set on the the road course, the sprint karting, the um, left and right scene. And then that, that turned into me becoming the national announcer for a bunch of karting series across the U S if people are familiar with Rotax karting, the, the, the fun division of BRP, the Sea-Doo, Ski-Doo people, they went out and made a go-kart engine because why not? Um, I was their national announcer for a few years and then Road to Indy was a partner of Rotax karting. I got the chance to go to Road to Indy, kind of exposed myself to the Indy car crowd. That led me to meeting the people at IMSA. They had me come over to try out for their public address announcer's position. No play-by-play, no commentary, just PA uh at road atlanta in 2016 and they ended up offering me their whole weather tech schedule so yeah for me it's always been it's always been road courses which i grew up an ascar fan i wanted to go to ovals i wanted to you know do the left turn only thing but um you know uh, it, it was always road courses and the only oval track announcing experience i ever had and you know this is i think a really funny story but also maybe an embarrassing one was we were in Ocala, Florida, of all places. This is proof that God has a sense of humor. We were in Ocala announcing the last weekend of the Florida Winter Tour, which was just a, a regional winter karting series. And Saturday night, it's the last weekend, we would do two weekends at a time, back to back, January, February, and March. So it's March, the last weekend in March, we've been on the road for 14 days now down in Florida. And Saturday night, uh, we had just gotten off all the qualifying and heat races for this go-kart series. I'd been on the mic for probably seven and a half hours, um, calling everything from three go, you know, three carts on track racing to 40 cart fields. And a couple of guys on the tech, the tech squad, the older tech guys go, Hey, we're going to go to a, we're going to go to a sprint car race tonight. Are you coming? And I'm like, Oh, heck yeah, Bubba. I never get a chance to go see USAC or sprint cars. I'm in, let's go. Well, we drive right past Bubba Raceway Park, and I'm like, wait, what, what? And we end up pulling into this tiny little hole, and I wish I could remember their name, but I can't. And we pull in, and like the owners of the track had like a house on the property. It was like, it was like a, a like probably a two-tenth of a mile, three-tenths of a mile, little dirt oval. And the tech guys start messing around and tell the owner, hey, do y'all have an announcer? This guy's a national, you know, big time announcer. And it just so happened that night that we were there, their house announcer was sick. So the track goes, yeah, we don't have anybody. We actually have a decent crowd. If he wants to go up, let him. And uh, I, I, it, they were micro sprints. I didn't know what the heck they even were when we got there. And I ended up going into the booth and I walk in and I go, okay, do you guys have race monitor? Where's my laps? And they go here, here's your grid sheet. And I'm like, okay. So um, I, I'm standing in there and like, you know, the wire, the lights are flicking flickering and there's moths everywhere and 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 i ended up calling uh 
all of their heat races, their qualifiers, and three out of their four main events. I ended up going down on the track doing the feature winner interviews with these guys I've never even met. I'm not trying to say their names. And when it's all over, the owners are like, man, thanks a bunch. And I think they gave me like a 20 and two cans of Cougars Light. And uh, <laughs> we literally left before the last feature because me and the tech guys and our race director had to be back at the hotel because we were on track at 730 in the morning the next day for the last day of racing. Uh, and I got back to the cart track and called the last eight hours of the, the championship there. Um, and one of the guys on the crew said, you know, you're kind of like, you're kind of like Wayne Gretzky, you play NHL hockey, and then you see kids on a pond playing on their ice skates and you go lace up and go play with them. So that was it. Like, as far as dirt track announcing goes, some little, you know, two tooth shack hole in the wall, they pay in Cougars light in Ocala, Florida for the life of me. I can't remember the name, but I wish I could. So um, yeah, road coursing has been, has been the predominant thing for me. What is your kind of dirt track knowledge coming into that first week of, of Bubba? Like I, I would assume you've done a, a bunch of research once you get the gig, but like, you know, were you aware of things? Do you watch, do you keep up? Like, you know, where is your dirt track knowledge? Yeah. I, again, a lot of it stems back to Chris Wheeler and, and Bell. Uh, you know, he brought me out here when I was doing the road to Indy thing in 16, I was living in Portland, Oregon at the time. And I was splitting my year between Speedway, Indiana, where he and his wife, Rachel lived and Portland. Uh, what were you doing so in Portland? Just, uh, the funny thing about Oregon was I'm from Oregon, I, actually. That's why oh, I ask. No kidding. Where? Yeah. I'm, I'm from Southern Oregon, but basically grew up in Portland. So, so, so I, I, and I, it's just like everywhere else you say Denver when you're from Colorado, Portland wasn't really where, um, when I got the road to Indy TV job in 16, it was a non-paid, uh, non-compensated. All they did was take care of your flights and your hotel and they buy, you know, your food on the weekend. Uh, and when I got that job, I was actually living in Charlotte. I know we're getting way off topic. I'm sure you'll cut all this. Um, I was living in Charlotte because I went down to North Carolina to go chase stock cars. I wanted to announce NASCAR. I wanted to announce, you know, I had an offer to go do Millbridge Speedway. Um, I was chasing the NASCAR thing. I was doing what every young actor and actress does. They moved to LA thinking they're going to make it. Well, I packed up and went to Charlotte. So I'm down there for like five months. I'm renting a room for my guy. I didn't meet till the night I pulled into his driveway. I'm, I'm thinking, what am I doing? I was I wish I could make, I wish I could make this kind of stuff up. I'm eating hot sauce sandwiches during the day in North Carolina. Cause I was that broke. I'm taking a piece of white bread. I'm dashing hot sauce on it. And that was lunch. Um, and I was living and dying down there trying to get carding and dirt track announcing gigs in Charlotte. So when I win the road to Indy TV job, we find out immediately, you're not going to get paid and you're going to have to miss a lot of the carding events that pay your, you know, your way to live already. So a good, family of friends um ironically the race director for that series in florida the egger family in oregon owns a go-kart track called pat's acres racing complex mm -hmm. in canby yep I know pat's I was, acres. yeah and so i was traveling the country with chris the dad his daughter maddie was our grid stewardess his oldest son cameron was our head flagger and the two younger boys were mechanics for other teams and sometimes his wife would do scoring so they go listen we get you're not going to make any money in, in 16 doing the road to Indy. We get you can't even pay your rent down in North Carolina right now. They said, why don't you come to Oregon, move in with us? Everybody but the 16, 17 year old son had moved out. They have this big house. They said, come live with us. We're not going to charge you rent. They said, work at the go-kart track to make money in the weeks in between. And we'll never bug you. Hey, why aren't you at work? You know, we know you're at IndyCar races. So I lived out in Oregon for 16 
my first year of Road to Indie TV and then 17. Uh, and, and they literally just opened up their homes to me and said, hey, we get it. You're trying to chase a dream. You're trying to go get a career. You can't afford any of it because you're an announcer and we know you don't make money. Um, so they just said, come to Oregon. And I ended up living there for two, almost three years. And uh, it was one of the best times of my life. So um, so you're going back and forth between Portland and Speedway. And then in between, are you able to go to dirt races or, you know, are you just like talking to Chris Wheeler? Like, you know, what is that like whatever dirt racing fandom at that point look like? Yeah, no. And I, you're, you're very good because you're able to remember your original question. After I take <laughs> this, this rabbit trail. Everyone who listens to this is going to go, Jesus, the guy sure is an announcer. He never stops talking. Um, and so I'm sorry for that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I came out to Indy and I was, I was sleeping on Chris and Rachel's couch, which ironically here's another pointless story for you that's how i ended up getting my nickname everybody in dirt tracks has nicknames right mm -hmm. nobody nobody in pavement cares about nicknames but you come over to a short track and it's like you know shane you know the throttle shane coddle the people's champ dave darland uh and every you know sunshine and big daddy and everybody's got a nickname well I've, i earned mine way too early and it was couch tony because uh i lived on chris wheeler's couch and we would go to places uh dawson's on maine you know we'd go downtown whatever and people were, were always like, Chris, who's the shadow? Who's your, who's your giant, ugly shadow behind you? And uh, Chris goes, well, that's Couch Tony. He sleeps on my couch. Uh, couch, say hi to, you know, so-and-so. And, -so. and um, uh, but anyway, while I'm, while I'm being Couch Tony and I'm living on Chris and Rachel's couch and I'm eating all their food and I'm drinking all their, their whiskey, uh, I, was, I was going to dirt races with, with Chris. And, and he, was, he was playing, um, you know, Dirt Vision and he was playing Speed Shift and he was, he was playing all this stuff for me. And I'm like, okay, this is really cool. I don't totally get it, but I grew up the biggest Tony Stewart fan. And I knew what USAC was and I knew what the Triple Crown was. And so I'm watching this stuff and I'm getting to go to Terre Haute to watch uh, those guys during the week of Indy leading up to the 500. And then the, uh, the Hoosier State Fairgrounds to watch the Silver Crown cars on the mile. And what used to be the night before the 500, but they run it on Friday now at, at Lucas Oil with the Silver Crown car. And I'm just like, you know, this is it. This is real racing. And I'm just falling in love with it. Um, and I would, I would listen to Chris. He was buddies with all the dirt track guys. Um, I'd end up in Justin Grant's shop, not knowing who I'm talking to or who I'm looking at or, or over at the Petrie shop. And so to be honest with you, coming to Indy and, and being so preoccupied with the road to Indy and trying to get to IndyCar, because that was my dream. I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm six blocks from the Speedway and I've got pictures of the place everywhere here. Um, but I was, I was like every young driver, every young announcer, that's, that's where I'm going. I got to get there. Um, so I paid attention, you know, but I, I wasn't sitting and watching every single race. I didn't get a flow subscription until last year. Um, and then I ended up being at more dirt races last year once I bought the subscription than ever before. So that was poor money management. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess to be honest with you, the best way to put it was casual observer in the very beginning. That was really how it started. But I just increasingly grew towards the idea of, Yo, these guys are getting paid to drive race cars. They're probably the last group of drivers in the world who are getting paid to drive their race car, or at least they're making some kind of money, whether it's the payout at the end of the night, the owner's cutting them a check, whatever. Because I came from the road to Indy and the endurance sports car world where, you know, if you're a road to Indy kid, your mom and dad or a rich family friend is writing a check for, to start at the bottom level, you're writing a check for $350,000 and it only goes up from there and it doesn't pay. And so I looked at that, what I was doing and I thought, man, this, 
this isn't what I read about. You know, this isn't the, the stuff Tony Stewart and AJ and Mario did. Uh, but I could go to sprint races. I could go to USAC shows with Chris and watch these guys do it and then get up and go to work on Monday. And I'm like, well, this, this is what they, you know, they, they talked about, you know? So, um, yeah, that was my baptism into, into dirt racing. I'm, I'm pretty good friends with Blake Anderson, who's the voice of the all-stars and, and being around Johnny Gibson for as long as I did. And, you know, I've seen the ridiculous spreadsheet of all of their information. And, and I'm curious what your prep was like. So, you know, you get with Kevin, you're getting this deal, you know, where do you then go? Like, you know, wh- what does that prep look like? And then like, what are your kind of first conversations at the racetrack look like? I mean, are you just running around trying to talk to everybody you can when you got to, when you got to Bubba? Yeah, truly. And here's the thing about Blake and Johnny, they are, you know, it's corny and it, it sounds cliche, but they're straight up students of the game and they're students of racing, obviously, but they're students of announcing. Blake is really good and you don't get to become Tony Stewart's go-to voice without being as good and as smart and as studious as Blake is. And Johnny Gibson is obviously a consummate announcer. He knows everything. And the thing about Johnny is you go to a, you go to a World of Outlaws race where I met him in um, – at Willamette County Speedway in Central Oregon, or you go listen to him at Volusia to kick off the season, and he sounds the exact same at every single one of those shows. And it's not just his voice; he says the same things. He he, you know, everything about Johnny is like going to In and Out. You go to In and Out anywhere, and it's going to taste the same, look the same, be the same. Johnny is that good, and so that's that's what dirt track fans are used to. They want it to be the same like when they were kids and they were going to their local Saturday night show and the same announcers said the same thing every single night. Um, those guys are very good at studying. I'm not, there's a reason I didn't, you know, get A's in high school and we won't even talk about college. I hate studying. I really do. Whether it was road to Indy when I came into the sports car stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's over on the sports car side, it's five drivers per car. And there's 49 cars in the Rolex 24 and you got to know every single one of them. And you got to know something about each one of them. I tried to make spreadsheets and, and all that stuff. And it's freaking hard. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why guys like Johnny and Blake are good, but that's also why they rely. And I rely on guys like Brian Walker at Wikipedia um, and Richie Murray at USAC. I mean, I don't know how Richie Murray fits his brain into his head. Genuinely. I mean, I feel like the guys had to go in and get it like glued shut or something. But when I got to Ocala I hadn't had my conversation with Levi not four, four, four weeks earlier. Um, Levi came home from the West Coast swing and he got COVID. He was super sick. He was bedridden. He had a 102 temperature for like a week, I think. I mean, they were really worried about him. And so here I am trying to plan out my 2021 season. I'm blowing up Levi and I'm not getting anything back. And then I find out he's sick. And I'm like, okay, you know what? This It's just going to be another winter where it doesn't work out. So um, it's like four days before I leave for Tulsa, Oklahoma to go to the chili bowl where I was doing video work for Rick young and Jeff Taylor with Rams racing. And, um, Levi texts me and goes, or he calls me and he goes, what are you doing? And I said, I'm laying on my couch doing nothing. And he goes, Hey, you do video production work, don't you? And I go, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I make videos. And he goes, um, I want to talk to you about some of that. I'm coming back from Brownsburg. Let's meet. Uh, how's, how's 15 minutes for you work. And I go, Okay. So I get up and I run down to main street and we go to big woods and he starts talking about all this. And I'm thinking, okay, he's going to, he's going to bring me in to do some video stuff. And Rob's going to keep announcing and I'm going to have to just sit there and like salivate over the job I want. And he, Levi talks about, Hey, can you go to the shops during the week and produce some content and 
you know, record interviews and stuff that we can play during the broadcast. And I go, I go, yeah, that sounds really cool. I want to do it. And also it's money. You can't turn that down. And he goes, what about graphics? Can you do graphics? And I'm like, I can learn. And he goes, all right, well, I just want to get to the point where, where you can throw it to a video you've made with the right graphics when you're announcing. And I go, wait, what? And he goes, um, he goes, yeah, don't you want to, don't you want to take it all over? And I'm like, well, yeah, but what are you talking about? And he goes, um, Rob's not coming back. And I go, Levi, you're kidding me. And I put my head in my hands and I go, dude, I just signed my IMSA contract and I'm committed to 12 weekends with those guys. And I know how this song goes. Oh, you can't make every 107 races. Sorry, you're out. Well, Levi goes, well, let's give me, give me your dates. And pulls out a pen and a piece of paper and he starts writing out okay no conflict i tell him my next date no conflict okay well that one uh maybe we'll get you know so and so to do it okay that one oh that one he goes i can call that from my basement that's not a big one and, and he and he goes all right he goes i think we can make it work so i say all that because the decision to go forward and, and say you're going to be the guy this year takes place three weeks four weeks before ocala so i literally leave that conversation with levi and I'm packing a bag to go to Tulsa for a week and I'm shooting videos and I made all the stuff that Rams racing put out. Well, then from Tulsa, I come home and I go straight to Daytona for the roar before the 24, the test session. I've got some smaller races there that I PA. And then the very following weekend was Rolex, uh, the 24 hour race that I was in charge of pre-race and post-race for. And then boom, it's Ocala week. And you know, I, I don't use this as an excuse, but I had almost no time to do any studying because between preparing for Tulsa and being in Tulsa for that week, which if you've ever been there, not a lot gets done besides drinking and eating too much. Um, and then preparing for my road course commitments, I didn't have a lot of time to go back and, and, and binge watch every night of, of last season on flow. And it came down to Jeff Taylor, who's a pretty prolific guy in the industry coordinating a, a, a zoom call like this with JJ Ailey and me and JJ sat and BS for an hour and a half um, talking about everything, learning about everything. Hey, why do you guys do this with your tires? This is so different than what I'm used to. Um, what's the benefit, this and that. And it was really helpful. And then I got to Ocala and I'm going up to people. I'm going up to guys. I know Justin Grant, uh, Kevin Thomas, Jr. I'm meeting guys that I've never really talked to Chris Windham, um, and the midget weekend went okay. Obviously, uh, it didn't go great. And then just got more and more comfortable. But yeah, it, it, for me, it's not about having a spreadsheet, you know, this big and this wide. It's about meeting people and saying, hey, tell me something about you that I can then correlate into this broadcast when you're leading or you're fighting for fifth or whatever. So uh, I'm not as studious as Blake and Johnny. I try to do it a lot more just based on what I can remember by real life conversations. As you kind of get in and, and start like getting to know people and things like that. And, and one of the things that I love that you did was the, the speed dating videos. And like, I would imagine that those are actually kind of probably helpful for you. Like just as much as they were entertainment for us, they were also helpful for you. But is that what we can expect from you is, is, you know, you're going to do that stuff and then we're going to get to see you in other videos throughout the season. Yeah. And, and you, you're not, you know, you're not wrong. Um, those, the idea was, and I, I don't think I edited, edited it. I hate that word. I don't think I put in the opener that I did with the drivers where they all sit down and I go, you know, Mr. Grant, Mr. Kofoid, Miss Bryce and Miss Reimer, how are you? I'm new. 
I got to learn all you guys. So I decided to do it quickly with speed dating. That was the funny kind of premise behind of it, behind it. And a lot of those questions, you know, I'm never going to use that in a race. I'm never going to go, oh, and they're going for the lead is uh, uh, Kaylee Bryce. And she thinks airplanes are the closest thing to real life magic. No. Um, but more than anything, that was just my way of meeting them. And because it's very difficult. And I don't mean to say, oh, I've got the hardest job in the world. But I challenge a lot of people to just go up to someone they've never met before. They don't know. They're not even sure in a crowded pit area who they're looking for and go up to them and go, hey, I need you to tell me uh, a little bit of your life story right now. And then I'm going to do it 10 more times and remember it. It's, it's, it's a little bit more technical than you might imagine. Um, and so those speed dating things, I learned video ideas and video. The, those videos are edited terribly. I'm not a, a video editing guy at all. Um, but I learned all that kind of like, hey, we got to get to know these drivers from my time at Road to Indy TV because nothing against Road to Indy racing, but it's not the most exciting stuff you're going to watch in the world. Nobody wakes up on Monday after an IndyCar weekend and goes, God, who won the Indy Pro 2000 or who won the F2000 race? They care about who won the IndyCar race. But what I learned at Road to Indy TV was, hey, we're not selling racing because it's not that exciting. What we're selling and how we're going to get fans is relatability. Um, we have to make you, Justin, care about Oliver Askew because he's into the same things you're into. And then maybe once you learn he's into those things you're into, you'll go, hey, and he also drives race cars. That's really cool. I want to know more about him. And you're a, you're a loose example. We were targeting the like 13 to 18, 19-year-old demographic of kids whose attention span is over in one, two, three gone. We were targeting them and going, how are we going to get all these 13 to 19 year olds who don't care about anything to go, Hey, I don't even care about car racing, but I like that this kid surfs. I surf, or I like that this kid plays guitar. I play guitar. So the thing I, the thing I told everybody in Ocala was go to the fence and watch the racing, log into flow and watch the racing. You don't need an announcer. It's so good. You don't need me. You don't need Pat Sullivan. You don't need Rob. You don't need Johnny Gibbs. It's good enough as it is what you need because we're not selling the racing here it's the same thing we're selling justin grant is a 30 something year old guy who works on his own race cars when he's done building his own race cars then he loads them up into a truck and trailer then he drives them four five six seven hours to the race he unloads them he works on them he races them he cleans them he works on them some more he wins in them then he loads them back up and he's back in that shop monday through thursday doing it over and over and over again just like you and me and everybody else are who hates their job it's not just hey i'm a race car driver i'm going to fly into kokomo get in the sprint car win and leave guys like justin and kt and everybody in usac they're not just some guy with a helmet in a bag that shows up they have to do this for a living and i don't know what you do for income uh, I deliver pizzas when I'm not messing up names and I hate it. You might hate your job. And so I'm trying to take USAC drivers and show them to this world of people out there and go, Hey, you love the racing, but you should know about the guys and girls who do it because they're just like you. They're just like me. And whether it's that they have to do this job and build these race cars and work on them and they've got their hands in cold brake cleaner in December in Indiana, or, or, or it's just that they're into the same kind of music you are. They're into the same kind of food you are. Whatever it is, that's the idea behind those videos. So um, we're just trying to bring a, a sense of relatability so that you can look at Kevin Thomas Jr. or Tyler Courtney or Chase Stockton and go, hey, I, I, even without the racing, me and that guy would get along for this reason. So that's where that whole thing comes from.
As you make the transition from road racing into circle track racing and, and something as like, like midgets and sprint cars where things happen so quickly, is there a transition period for you watching the races and understanding, you know, what's happening as, you know, guys are making moves or, or did you jump in and it was pretty quick, you know, for you to be able to do that right away? You know, that's a really good question because everything, the smaller the track you get, the quicker things happen, right? People think, Oh God, 230 miles at, at uh, 230 miles an hour at Indianapolis or 200 miles an hour at Daytona. That must be crazy to call. Well, it's not because they're doing it around two and a half miles and nothing, nothing there happens like that. You see it happening for a while. Um, to this day, the most technical and tricky stuff I've ever announced is, is go-kart racing because, um, they're on super tight, super narrow, super fast tracks. They're all within this, this far from each other on the time charts. Uh, and anything can happen there. And one guy can make a move and it affects 30 other drivers, sprint car, midget, silver crown racing, very similar to that. So I'd like to think that my speed and, and my ability to recognize things that are happening is just as good as anybody else out there. But where I fall short is five years ago, if you would have come to a go-kart race, I was announcing, I could look up and look at 10 kids' helmets and tell you who they all are, where they're from and something about them. I can't look up on the monitor right now today and look at the front 10 in a sprint car battle or a midget battle and recognize every single one of them and tell you where they're all from and what their parents do and, and, and so on and so on. I think if I get to May or June, yes, then I will be able to. Um, but it, there's, there is so much that happens, but that's the thing. I was having this discussion on the way home uh, from Florida. Announcing a 40 car field of midgets or a, you know, 24 take the green flag in a feature, that's not hard. Anybody could do that because there's always something happening. What's hard to announce is a go-kart race with three carts on track. What's hard to announce is the Rolex 24 when the leaders are all 15 seconds apart from each other and you don't know when they're going to catch up to each other. That is stuff that's hard to announce because there's no action to describe. Um, so sprint car racing and midget racing, I believe fits my foray and I believe it fits my forte and style of announcing because I talk quick, action on track is quick, and there's always something to talk about. So um, once I get the names and the facts and the stats down, uh, I, I feel like it'll be extremely comfortable and people will actually enjoy what they're hearing. Let me know. G give me an idea about the flow setup. Like if I remember correctly, the flow setup for you guys is you're not in the tower. You're not in the booth. You're like in the trailer, if I remember yeah. correctly. Is that is that right? Yeah. So that's, that's the thing. Um, is that more difficult? Past. See, that's, that's, again, that's a really great question. And, and I had a lot of people on social media come to my defense and go, Hey, you guys are getting all mad at him. He, he can't even see the track. Uh, and, and in Ocala, for example, to anybody who was there to anybody, I mean, every, every dirt track to a point is the same, you know, you got the, you've got the track and then you've got the front stretch grandstands will park directly behind and underneath the front stretch grandstands is a sprinter van, just a long, tall, uh, you know, Amazon looking style van. And it's got flow racing plastered on the side of it and big sliding doors and some antennas and some wires running out of it. Well, if you're getting your nachos and you're heading back to the stands, you don't think anything of it. But then when you slide those doors open, there's about 10 television monitors. There's a stack of computer towers. Uh, there's a couple chairs and there's a few guys in there uh, and people walk by and they're like, whoa, this, you know, what's going on in here? So that's where Rob last year, I know Sean Buckley, when he was at USAC, he called from in there and I called from in there. Um, and so it is tough because I'm not up in the tower and a lot of people got 
get very upset. I, it's not like they're just mad at me. They're, they're mad at any announcer who's not simultaneously telling you about the fight for the lead and the fight for the transfer spot in a heat or a B. Um, I can only see what the, what the people watching at home on flow can see. And I'm torn on whether that's harder or not, because here's, here's what you need to understand. Here's what people watching need to understand is if you're paying $150 a year for flow, you want to see the racing and you want to know about what's going on on your screen. But if I'm up in the tower and I'm talking about this killer fight for the transfer spot, but the cameras are showing the fight for the lead, you would have ever, I mean, you'd have people heading to Austin, Texas, where Flo's headquartered, trying to burn the, the place down because I'm not talking about what they can see. Sprint car fans, NASCAR fans, I don't care, football fans, it doesn't matter. They don't want you to talk about what they can't see because they it's the ultimate form of disrespect to them for some reason. So we looked at it as, well, you are going to want to talk about what we're showing the viewers, obviously, you know, or you're going to get death threats. So we're going to put you in the van where you can see exactly the what's called the program. And that's what's going out to, to, the, to the people watching flow. And I personally don't have a preference on it one way or the other. I can be up in the booth and watch all of it. I can be in the van. It's, it's a very intimate. It's a very, very comfortable setting. When we get to the Indiana Sprint Week and midget weeks in the middle of the summer where it's 85, 95 degrees in Indiana, that air conditioned van with no lights on is pretty comfortable. Um, but but it's tough because, yeah, you want to talk about what's going on. Uh, and the style of flow is such that you have a rooftop cameraman who's, you know, following all the cars. He is essentially, for lack of a better term, the director of the show, because what that rooftop cameraman decides to show is what I see uh, until I decide to move up to the booth and we redo the entire broadcast where I'm in the booth. I can only talk about what I see on that camera. And uh I mean, I can't explain to you how, how mad that makes some people. I've had, I've had people on Twitter send me emails, find out, you know, my home address almost. And, and they're like, well, you should be in the booth. And I go, I don't disagree with you. But, but, but here's the problem. Until USAC and Flow are ready to invest all this money, and that's the thing people don't get. This stuff isn't free. It doesn't just happen like that. Until we invest in monitors to put up in the booth with me and that stuff that we have to tear down and put together every single night, we go from track to track, to track, to track, what's sprint week, eight races and nine nights or something crazy like that. We are tearing down complete scoring towers for me to be able to look out the window and tell you about the battle for the lead while looking down at the monitor and then commenting on the battle for the transfer spot or vice versa. So it comes down to that thing of you're never going to make everybody happy. And it is tricky. Um, I've got meetings at the USAC building next week to go over. Do we move me up to the booth? Do I stay in the van? Um, but again, you know, you could put me in the van with 10 monitors around me. You could put the van on top of the grandstands and cut a hole <laughs> in the window. And I could call that and talk about what's on the screen. And somebody would still say, I can hear the air conditioning in the background. So it's tricky, but yes, it is difficult to be somewhere where you, it's the first time I've ever called something. Well, that's not true because I called MX five cup racing during IndyCar weekends and we would be in the TV compound half a mile away from the racetrack and you couldn't see anything there. It was just what the cameras showed you. So yeah, it's, it's definitely tricky. Um, I don't, I don't not enjoy it, but I'm always looking for ways to make the broadcast better for the people who pay money to watch it.
As you get kind of into and, and past those first couple of nights at Bubba and you start getting the tweets and the criticism and things like that, were you prepared for that? Did you think that was coming? Did it surprise you? Like, what was your thought as all of those, as your notifications start blowing up over those couple of days? Well, I'll tell you this, Justin, if, if I can, not that I, not that I haven't been rambling already, but I just, here, here's how that whole deal happened in Ocala. So, um, I, I get to Ocala and we get through hot laps and, you know, you don't really need to say much during hot laps. You don't need to talk. Sometimes Rob, for example, would just kind of let the cars run because people, people just want to see the cars run sprint car, dirt track, USAC fans love it so much. They just, when I first showed up, I said, Hey, what if we did a pre-race show? What if we ran features like the speed dating stuff instead of showing hot laps, everybody at USAC was like, no, 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 no. We can't do that. You will get death threats. Like yeah. people just want to watch the cars go around and that's fine. Fine with me. So I get to Ocala and uh, hot laps gets over and it's straight into single car qualifying. Well, road course racing, road to Indy, all that stuff. There's no such thing as single car qualifying. I'm not using it as an excuse. I've watched NASCAR. I've watched IndyCar for years. I know how it works, but I've never called it. So what happened in Ocala was because everything stemmed from qualifying night one of the midgets. That's where everything stems from. And nobody that complained was wrong. Everybody, everybody that complained was, was saying either this guy sounds like he doesn't know what he's talking about, or this guy sounds like he's bored. And both of those were legitimate gripes because here's what happened. We get done, throw the checkered on the last group of hot laps and it's straight into single car qualifying. I hadn't practiced. I hadn't sat in my bathroom with a carrot doing it in the mirror. I didn't know how to do single car qualifying. So my mind goes straight back to listen to Mark Mosier, who was the announcer for the Colorado National Speedway that I grew up going to, or Pat Sullivan, who's the USAC PA announcer, or Johnny Gibson, my mind goes to those guys. And I think about how when a car goes out on track, they look up, they see it, and immediately it's, um, and coming out next on track, it's the number four top motor sports entry with MVP and, you know, Coca-Cola on the side. It's a, uh, you know, Chevy powered, uh, you know, you know, whatever chassis uh, from I own California, it's Justin Grant. And they rattle that like, like they've rehearsed it a thousand times because they've said it a thousand times. So I wanted to do that. Well, the first car comes out for qualifying and I look up and I don't know every single one of those things about that car and that driver. So I take my entry list that Richie Murray's given me that has every bit of info on it. You could want car number, driver's name, hometown, team, uh, the four or five main sponsors, the chassis and the engine, it takes up an entire standard sheet of printer paper. Boom, 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 everybody on that list. So I take that, I see the first car go out. I don't know, it's Kevin Thomas Jr. I go, all right, coming up next out of Coleman, Alabama and the number nine driving for KT Motorsports sponsored by Dr. Pepper and McDonald's in a you know Stanton powered spike, uh, you know, so on and so on. It's Kevin Thomas Jr. Well, I look up and the second lap's almost over and I read the time and then I look down and I, and I, what happened in qualifying in Ocala was I got so focused on doing that whole spiel, telling you every word to the entry list because that's what I thought people wanted. I quit announcing. I straight up just began reading. And that's why people on Twitter 10 minutes later were like, oh God, an announcer can really make or break a broadcast, don't you think? Or, or this guy sounds like he's tired. Who, who backed over this guy's dog? And I don't, I, I don't get mad at those people because guess what? They were 100% right. I quit announcing, which is what they pay me to do. And I began reading. Well, anybody can get online and read the entry list. They don't need me to do that. 
Um, and so I got on Twitter right after qualifying was over. We went to commercial, we went to the mini mods or whatever it was. And I got on Twitter and yeah, it was heavy. It was a lot of people going. And of course, in typical Twitter fashion, they don't at me. They don't tag me. No, it's just, it's just man, an announcer can really make or break a race or geez, I'm about to break the mute button or, you know, oh my God. And, and, and I had friends of mine getting on and publicly defending me. And the group that came to my defense, the quickest, the fastest, and in the biggest numbers were the drivers. I had guys like Clinton Boyles, um, you know, like uh, Chase Jones, like Logan CV. I had driver's wives, driver's girlfriends come into my defense because I've known those people. I've hung out with them. They know my situation. Um, and to answer, you know, the other part of your question, what did it feel like? How was it? Was I prepared? Yeah, I went to Tulsa uh, for the Chili Bowl. And I told Jeff Taylor, who's a very good friend of mine. He's someone I look up to a ton. Rockwell Security, he's sponsored almost, it feels like everybody in the garage at a certain point. If you don't know him, you should. Um, and he told me in Tulsa, he goes, you're going to get there and there's going to be people who are just mad that you're not Rob Klepper. And you're going to have people that want to tear you down. And I thought to myself, yeah, he's right. And, and I was like, okay, I'm prepared for that. But it truly is something different when you're getting on Twitter or you're getting on Facebook or you're, you're opening up your email account. I mean, that's the one that blew me away was people were, people were finding my business website. They were getting my email address and they were writing me page long emails um, about what they didn't like about what I need to do. And um, again, I don't want to make it out like I had a thousand notifications and they were all telling me to quit. The, the, the split was the very first night, the split was probably 50, 50, maybe a little bit more towards the negative side, but I got into my groove after qualifying. And again, I don't want to be boastful or cocky or anything, but I think that I'm a good race announcer. I'm not a good qualifying announcer. I'm going to get better. Um, but I went to the hotel Friday night after the midgets got suspended with 17 laps to go waiting to pick it back up Saturday. And I felt very deflated. I, you know, I thought, man, what am I doing? Like, did Levi make a huge mistake? And I'm texting Levi and Spridge and I'm telling him, you guys, I'm sorry, I'm going to work on this. It's going to get better. And those guys are like, from what we heard, you don't need to worry. You know, they, they said, let us, let us pull out the emails from the first night Klepper took over the first night Chet took over the first night so-and-so took over and they said let us show you all the people that wanted them to get let go okay you're in the same spot and um yeah it, it's shitty because all of us will jump to social media and and say something we don't like about the president about local politicians about an actor an actress an athlete whatever but I definitely learned that being on the other side of it, it it's crazy and um when when people can tell you what they think and it goes straight to your pocket um it makes you just, it makes you want to get better because those people pay a lot of money to watch flow. And I don't want them to not enjoy their broadcast. I want them to love that racing as much as I do, because I firmly think non-wing sprint car midget silver crown racing is the best stuff you can watch in the U S today. Um, so I want those people to enjoy it. And all I asked that first weekend was stick with me, help, you know, get through sprint cars with me. And then let's get to April where I'm doing this every weekend. And if it's still terrible, fine. I'll go to Levi and Kevin and, and give them their money back. But confidently speaking, not to be cocky, I don't think people are going to get um, 
uh, that upset anymore. I think I've worked on things I need to work on. I think I've abandoned the, you have to read the entry list word by word by word, or you have to memorize the entry list. When guys went out for sprint car qualifying the next weekend, it was just, all right, hey, here comes uh, last year's Silver Crown Series champion, Justin Grant. He's back with Top Motorsports for another season. He's running the Triple Crown this year. And I fell back on the stuff that I knew about them. So um, yeah, the, the Twitter backlash was stronger than I expected. Um, but you know, the thing that I tell everybody is I've announced stuff and I've been a part of race series where there's either a no fans, it's just mom and dad and friends of the drivers, or I've done stuff like public address announcing for IMSA where I'm just reading a script. There's no reason for a fan to get upset or mad. So to come to something like USAC, where the fans are so passionate about their racing that they'll pick apart anything, it's genuinely actually kind of a nice change because I'd rather have people boo and tell me I suck and hate me than not care at all about what I'm doing. Cause I, you, you put too much time, you don't sleep, you, you don't, you don't live a healthy lifestyle to do this. And for no one to care is a real letdown for someone to go. You're not as good as the last guy. You're not as good as that guy. You're not as good as the next guy. That's fine. I can take that. It's just a welcome change to have people give a damn about what you do. You're getting ready to sit and watch a boatload of racing all summer long. You know, you got to see quite a bit of good racing in, in Ocala. What are you excited about this year? You know, what drivers are you looking for? What tracks are you excited to get to? I can't wait for the, for the week, the, the weeks, the Indiana sprint week and the Indiana midget week. I'm pretty bummed out right now. Um, because if Levi would have gotten a hold of me three days earlier and had the conversation we had, I wouldn't have signed my IMSA deal because I still have 11 weekends with those guys. Um, and some of those races fall on USAC conflicts. And so, um, for everybody that hated me in Ocala, the good news, you'll get a break because, um, I do have to miss a few weekends because contractually I'm obligated to be at these sports car races, which, um, you know, I wish I wasn't, but, uh, I know like I have to miss, I think the first night or maybe two nights, depending on how the flights work out of Indiana midget week, but to get to do the grind of Indiana sprint week. Uh, I'm looking forward to that like crazy to go up to the East coast, the Northeast in April uh, and do a race every night there. It's not as long as sprint week or midweek, but I think we have like four nights in a row up in the Northeast and then come straight back to Terre Haute or Kokomo. It's the grind for me because um, you know, you grow up and you romanticize NASCAR and those guys are on the road 36 weekends a year. Um, when I was doing road to Indy and now I've got IMSA, you race, and then you have four weeks off, you have six weeks off, whatever. You know, I think in IMSA, we only have one stretch where we have races back to back over over the course of a week. Um, I'm into the grind of it. You know, I, I want to do Indiana Sprint Week. I want to do Indiana Midget Week. I want to do the week of Indy in May where you're at Terre Haute on Wednesday. Then you're at uh, the State Fairgrounds on Thursday with the Silver Crown Cars. Then Lucas Oil Friday night. And then even if I'm not announcing, go hit the Hoosier. I mean, uh, go hit the Little 500 Friday and Ander or Saturday in Anderson. So, um, you know, to get to go to places that I read about, Terre Haute, um, Lawrenceburg is big and bad and sexy. I can't wait to get back in April. Um, and there's tracks on the West Coast that, God willing, we get to go and hit this year, depending on what, you know, those guys are doing out there. There's not a single bit of this that I look forward to and go, ah, that, I don't want to go do that part, or I'm not so excited about that. Um, all of it is exciting to me, and I, I can't wait. And I've got, I've got buddies that I've known for years, Justin Grant. I've, I'm fortunate to know a few of those guys. Justin's been my closest uh, connection through Wheeler. I know KT. Um, 
you know, but I'm getting to know all of them. And so there's nobody that I go, God, I hope they have a great year. I, I hope all of them have a great year. Um, I'm just excited to get to that point in the summer where we're doing this every single weekend. That's what I can't wait for. Well, cool. I will certainly let you go. Uh, I've kept you here for uh, over an hour at this point, but it has not been you. It has not been you keeping anybody. I I feel really bad. People are going to turn this on and go, Jesus, does this guy ever stop? Um, I really appreciate it. And uh, I think as a guy yourself who came from the world of outlaws and all the other stuff you do, you can probably relate to that grind. And maybe you're sitting there going, Hey, you're going to get halfway into it and really regret it. But um, I appreciate you having me on. And it means a lot just to kind of get my face and my voice out there to more fans, even if they don't care about how bad I am or, or, or how hard I'm working. It's just nice to get my, my image out there. So thank you very much for the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, you've got a good voice, you know, you're, you're passionate about it and it like, you know, give them some time. They'll, uh, they'll warm up to you. Don't worry. Well, I, and, and I, and you know, here's the deal. I'm not bitter against a single fan or against a single person you know, that, that reached out to me on social media. Cause again, I get it. This is their sport. I'm showing up and do it new. And if any one of them have done what you've done and do some research, they're looking at me and going, what's this, you know, road course, hoity toity sports car guy doing in our world. Well, the best way I can put it is I'm just, uh, you know, there's a saying you weren't born in Texas, but you got there as quick as you could. And uh, I, I wasn't born into sprint car racing. I wasn't born into the dirt track world but I'm doing everything I can to get here as quickly and as, as strongly as I can. Um, so to anybody that was upset in Ocala, Hey, I get it. I wasn't perfect. Uh, it didn't sound great, but I think by the end of sprint car weekend, it sounded a whole hell of a lot better. And knowing the work that the flow guys here in Indianapolis, Levi, Christy and I are going to do between now and April 3rd, when we kick off again at Lawrenceburg, I expect the shows to look completely different, sound different. And um, yeah, if people will just stick with me through the spring. I think they're going to be a lot happier than they were in Florida. So I, uh, I get it. I understand why they're upset and I don't want to waste any of their money. Well, Tony Laporta, thanks for the time. Justin, thanks a bunch, man. I think after talking to Tony and hearing his progression through the first two weekends, give him some more time to get his feet firmly under him and he'll be great for USAC. His deep voice and passion for motorsports will shine through in no time. Thanks again to him for the time and I appreciate the opportunity to share Tony's story with the community. You can find the Dirt Tracker podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or where you get podcasts. You can also watch the shows on YouTube. For more cool dirt racing stuff, visit dirttracker.com and follow Dirt Tracker on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok.